Welcome to another figure week, park surface week, organic week. Hey everyone, my name is Ahmed Aldouri. I'm a concept artist and former instructor at Art Center College of Design, Brainstorm, CCS, CGMA, and various other places. And I would like to introduce to you this digital painting course that I've created. But before we get into anything, I just wanna thank you for the support you've all given me this whole time. And with the support of so many of you, I've been able to put together everything I know about painting into this digital painting course. You want to become a pro, illustrator, concept artist, or even just a hobbyist, but you don't have a clear map to get there. And that's where I come in. I spent the last six months compiling everything I know from my 20 years of art practice, and I've turned it all into a map, starting with foundations such as rendering shapes, color theory, painting basic subjects, understanding brushwork, brush economy, all that fun stuff, deconstructing the skull, drawing it from every angle, Angle, all the way to master studies, stylized painting, and you'll find yourself at the end of the course doing a concept art project based on everything that we learn in the first 14 lessons. So how does it work? Well, you sign up, you watch the lectures, do the assignments, post them to the community page if you want, and treat it as a self-study, except for those of you who have signed up for the weekly meeting where I personally critique your work in a virtual classroom setting. I believe learning by repetition is super important. That's what I've sort of presented a lot in this course, and the assignments are tailored for that, as adapted from my time teaching at Art Center. And each of these lessons have step-by-step -step explanations in real time. If you've ever seen my videos, you know exactly how I teach. And this course is intended to be a substitute for a college level course, but you don't have to pay the four or $5,000 per class, racking up maybe 200K in debt. With my custom design course, you'd be paying a fraction of that. And of course, I also have payment plan options if you don't want to pay for the whole thing at once. Thank you for watching this and I'll see you soon. Hey guys, and uh, welcome back to Digital Artcast, uh, another episode um, coming at you thick and fast from the last one. Um, again, from whatever is going on in the world right now, I hope you guys are staying safe and staying productive with some creative projects. Um, I know that the guys have been emailing me saying that the podcast is kind of 
giving you guys a bit of ray hope at the moment and it's something to kind of focus on or, or cling to um well the world is in a bit of a tailspin right now but yeah uh another great episode here um one i was kind of approached with um rather than me kind of chasing a guest um i think uh, it's only natural probably at the time i've been around that people will eventually or inevitably come to me um with guests or ideas for um shows so uh recently um uh uh, a studio that's just gonna uh, in its infancy uh, has has just kind of formed and they uh, reached out to talk about um you know the formation of the studio and why they've made it and uh, some insight to what they've done in the past um very relative to what we talk about in here which is art and the entertainment industry vfx films games so um, i thought it'd be a great guest to have on we were supposed to have um two of the members of the studio uh, with us tonight but one of them unfortunately has uh, had to cancel last minute so uh we have uh, one of the, the studio heads uh, kind of sitting with us just now, and uh, let me introduce uh, Hugh Beruzzi. Hi, Hugh. How are you doing? Good. Hi, Gordy. Hello. 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 Thank you for coming on, and uh, also thank you for reaching out um, to come on to the podcast. It's uh, it's always great when people want to offer to come on instead of me chasing you. So yeah, it was great. Yeah, of course. Yeah, happy to <laughs> happy to chat. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, so we talked a little before we started recording. Um, but you have obviously a past in VFX and uh, the film industry that obviously reaches back a while. Um, if people don't know who you are or, or kind of your past at the moment, um, can you give me a kind of, you know, 30 second, a minute rundown of who you are, what you've done, where you've came from, all that kind of stuff? Sure. Yeah. Um, I've worked in the visual effects industry um, for quite some time now. I've gotten to work on titles like uh, Game of Thrones, Ant-Man and the Wasp, um, Justice League, Guardians of the Galaxy, Power Rangers, and uh, I'll kind of go with a few of those experiences while we're chatting, but that's mm-hmm. a few of the shows I've worked on. Cool, cool, cool. So you've been able to touch on some of the bigger um, projects that came out in the last 10, 15 years, something like that. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I've had a couple of people uh, I know closely who've worked on stuff like Game of Thrones and even Justice League uh, doing some matte painting VFX stuff as well. So yeah, it seems like uh, it actually seems like one of these things with VFX. There's uh, there's kind of a, a wide net a lot of studios cast to get a lot of VFX work done. I remember when we went to see Guardians of the Galaxy two, I think at the time it was, um, and the list at the end of the credits for the VFX studios that were involved was just like it was never ending. There was just you know scaling and blur and like there was so many people just going up and up and up. Um, but it seems like it takes an absolute they say it takes a village but like it, it literally does it just there's so many people you know different shots different keys <clears throat> so yeah is that something that you kind of fell into initially were you always in vfx uh, initially with your career yeah actually i started sort of picking up 3d tools um at quite a young age mm-hmm. um on a game called second life um oh, cool. and it was it was basically this game where you could choose to be a content creator or you could choose to be a player Mm-hmm. Um, I chose to be a content creator. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had, you know, thousands of players following my brand that I'd created in the game. And, uh, you know, I was selling all sorts of virtual clothing. This was a very long time ago. I would say this was back in 2007, 2008 right. cool. at this point. So quite, quite a long time ago. Um, and it really helped me kind of pick up the basics of 3D gave me the 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 sort of rubric of of learning 3d Mm -hmm. and really learning it on my own obviously at that time there wasn't you know nearly the same amount of tutorials there are today you can google anything today how do you do this in maya how do you do this in substance and yeah it it was kind of like you know go figure it out yeah Um, yeah. so that that was that experience um i actually studied film production for a while after uh i you know 
I, I did the game thing for a while. I was making right. $2,000 a month as a te- you know young teenager. My mom was like, this is super cool. Go continue doing this. Um, but then I, I switched into film uh, a production and really learning that. I've had a big passion for film uh, and filmmaking mm-hmm. since I was very young. So mm-hmm. I naturally went to a school for that, paid a lot of money, um, ridiculous amounts of money, as uh, people know how it is in film and visual effects studies. Um, Didn't really do much with that. I I made some music videos and, you know, (laughs) whatever. Uh, But I I actually got into casting. Uh, I was a casting director uh, for about four years, Uh, mostly background casting. I did some special and principal casting as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Did that for four years, decided that I really wasn't interested in judging people for a living uh, for the rest of my life um, or judging people's looks and and, Mm -hmm. whatever their uh, for for their entire careers. And that just felt kind of awkward. Mm -hmm. Um, So stopped doing that. It was a lot of it was very overwhelming work, too. So stopped Mm -hmm. doing that. And then I went back into I'll actually tell you a story. I I was um, I was very overworked in that job. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was working like, you know, 15 hours a day, really, okay. every yeah. day, like mm-hmm. six or seven days a week. Jesus. Uh, getting underpaid for sure mm-hmm. at that time. Mm-hmm. And I was so overworked and I started to stress out so much that I ended up in the hospital. Um, so I, I ended up with a, a, a an appendix, uh, appendix that was about to blow and oh, got that out. And as I was uh, going into surgery, I, I kind of called um, the office at that time uh, and I said, look, I'm not coming back to work. I can't. This is not good for my health. I'm going into surgery. And this thank is God it. for that. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> that's sort of how I got into visual effects because when I woke up from the surgery and I yeah. was in the recovery room, I remember seeing a, an ad on the TV uh, for some sort of CG school. I, I can't remember what it was at this time, but yeah, I was like, oh, come learn CG and you know do 3D stuff. And mm-hmm. so kind of immediately, I was on my phone. I was like, okay, I got to find out the closest school to me mm-hmm. um i live in vancouver here in canada so cool. i ended up um finding the school is the, the school that's closest to me and mm-hmm. i ended up you know signing up and got a little bit of a scholarship to go and it was mm-hmm. a fantastic experience it was very hard to get into um mm-hmm. and ended up learning from some of the best people in the industry my mentor um at that school was justin holt uh, oh, cool. who has worked on you know elysium has worked on mm-hmm. like some of the earliest Hulk characters and, and whatnot. Yep. Um, and, you know, J- Justin was an amazing person to learn from mm-hmm. because he kind of just let you do what you needed to do, but stepped in where there was a gap, uh, where a lot of teachers tried to create this curriculum and you, you're very forced to learn very specifically what you need to do. And so you never get the um, you never get the tools to figure things out. And as you know, in, in CG, it's like mm-hmm. 90% figure it out, figure out how, why this yeah. shot is dropping, you know, why, mm-hmm. why is this frame dropping? Why is yeah. it not working? So mm-hmm. it really gave me a lot of the, the right tools. So mm-hmm. I started working. Um, I didn't even get to graduate. I, I got picked up eight months into my studies. Um, mm-hmm. I wish I had finished, but I mm-hmm. uh, got started right away. The first show I worked on was Final Fantasy King's Glaive um, at a okay. studio wow. called Waterproof. Uh, here in Vancouver, nice. so they do mostly cinematics and whatnot. But at that yeah. time, they were working on that show. Nice. That's a little bit uh, about how I got started in visual effects. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, I mean, great things. You've, I mean, you seem to have touched so many amazing projects. Like it's it's crazy now that you're 
kind of aiming for games is it because you feel like you've done enough in the vfx space um and we did talk obviously previously as well about the state of vfx at the moment as well i mean was there part of that as well or part or was it just mostly because you felt that you'd, you'd had enough of that side of the, the industry uh actually i when i was going into the visual effects school mm. uh, i actually went to it with the mindset of i want to get a, a job in the games industry oh, okay. um, i was thinking at that time like hey i really want to be in games i've always kind of watched i, I just so happen to be good at you know hyper realism texturing mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and looked of mm-hmm. and that was sort of my specialty and Mm -hmm. so i just kind of you know it wasn't natural at that time Mm -hmm. to get into the games industry if that was your specialty you know you kind of just go into film for that Mm -hmm. um so it was in the back of my mind i always wanted to kind of get into games uh, as i said i started picking up cg tools in Mm -hmm. games um so it's always kind of been there but i would say things like you know unreal engine 5 Mm -hmm. and and all the greatest technologies that are really starting to merge Yep. Blur, blur the lines immensely between mm. visual effects and games as two yeah. separate industries yep. um, really piqued my interest. I started mm. picking it up very quickly, just experimenting it on my own mm-hmm. um, and learning and learning how to um, bring this fidelity that we're used to in visual effects yep. into, into games, uh, which has been done. But <laughs> I think you're going to start to see a lot more impressive results with yeah. This high caliber hyper realism mm-hmm. work, even if it's stylized, it can still mm-hmm. be realistic stylized, yes. right? So it's that like quality, that fidelity that you're l- really looking for. Yeah. So it's really the tools changed, and the timing was perfect. And mm-hmm. you know, I started seeing this this urge in me to to create a franchise and to create a story, to create a do your uh, own thing, a, a universe essentially yeah. that people can fall in love with. Cool. Um, so that was my first focus, and then I. You know, it just happened to be that games was one of the best ways to do that. Nice. So I take it you, were you impressed with the, the Matrix demo in the Unreal release? Or was that something that caught your eye initially? Uh, I think it's really cool. I mean, it, you know, they're, they're basically taking, again, these experiences that we're so used to, these iconic moments that we're really yeah. used to, and, mm-hmm. and putting them into the perspective of what is the latest technology and how can we review those you know, universes. Yeah. So in that sense... Yeah, I, I love it. I love seeing new tech being used to recycle things that we're kind of used to seeing in, yeah, a, yeah. in a different way. Yeah, I mean, definitely when we played through it, I think initially on my Xbox just to, to try it because it wasn't even on a PC at the time. I know they've new released the Unreal Engine 5 and the, the Demo City, but yeah, playing the game through was was crazy to think how far. I mean, I started on, you know, Sony PlayStation, even back then Sega Mega Drive. So, I mean, it's like in the span of my life to see where games are now as opposed to VFX and film. Um, like I said, it's blurring those lines between the two of them, um, which is crazy. Um, it boggles my mind to think where we're going to be in five to ten years again. Like, what's going to be the next crazy thing? But I think even with our company, with the guys I'm working with right now, they're also taking a huge interest in VR and AR tech, which I think also is going to really start to weave in between that as well and, and make things even more uh, blurred between the, the, mm-hmm. the realms of reality and, and games. Um, so you started this new studio. So this is, and it's Blink Moon. Um, is there uh, an idea behind what you're creating so far? Have you guys kind of released anything publicly or is it still like a lot of um, visual development that you're doing right now? Yeah, I can tell you just basic details. Um, mm. We haven't announced the two titles that we're working on mm-hmm. yet, um, but we are building Unreal Engine 5 games, PC-oriented. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, we we're interested in, in porting to other platforms. Unreal Engine mm-hmm. makes that very easy. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so in that sense, we are sort of uh, cross-platform uh, yeah. uh, as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say, so one one game is more of a, a story-driven tactical mm-hmm. stealth game. And okay, the other cool. is a multiplayer uh, online competitive game cool. um, that's more focused on player versus environment. So cool. without giving too much away, that that's sort of what we're, we're working on today. Nice, nice. And and the team you've built right now, is that people that you've sourced specifically from a games background? Or have you brought people from the VFX world also over to what you're doing? That's a really good question. Um, actually, most of the people we have right now are from visual effects, predominantly. Okay. Nice. Um, we are just starting to uh, bring in some highly, highly experienced. I mean, we have one or two people who come from traditional games that have never touched mm-hmm. visual effects already, right. but we're really now focusing on, now that we've built up this pipeline, now mm-hmm. that we've built up the infrastructure to allow artists to work, yep. which by the way, we, we're, um, we're to be considered one of the first fully remote, fully cloud-based game studios in the world. I, I mean, even, even if you think about COVID like two years mm-hmm. ago, yeah, it yeah. wasn't a common thing for, mm-hmm. for games startups to yeah. start on the cloud. You would mm-hmm. always get a location, you know, you yep. get people in. It was kind of like a, an attractive thing to even have a location, but mm-hmm. we decided, look, it's a bunch of waste of money. We'd rather pay, pay the artists more and, you know, have it all completely, <laughs> Uh, on the cloud and have yeah, it yeah. Like, hey, doesn't matter if you're in Dubai or if you're in Thailand or if you're in Canada, you can join. So we actually have yeah. people from seven different countries. But mm-hmm. um, but yeah, so to answer your question, we're, we're, we've just, we haven't announced this yet, so I'll give mm-hmm. you a, a little bit of this, but we've just brought in uh, a head of engineering that mm-hmm. has 25 plus years in the games uh, industry. Nice. Um, I can't say from where yet until mm-hmm. it's officialized, but yeah. I'm very excited to, to bring him on board. Yeah, I think the the whole remote thing is definitely, um, yeah, COVID has changed the way I think we've looked at games production and and the way studios can work, um, even within VFX. I mean, I know I was watching, um, although that was, I think it was last year it was released, was that Rhea and The Last Dragon, the the film that came out with, I think, either Pixar or Disney, but they talked about how that whole production was done remotely, which is one of the first things I think they've done because they were obviously so used to collaborating in the studio. And, uh, of course, the the company I'm working for in Los Angeles, fabricated badness you know the, the world they're building all the guys that we work with in that team are all fully remote i mean i'm in scotland the guys are in la we've got a couple of people in ireland and other parts of the, the america so yeah it's it's been coming more and more common i think and also open opportunities to other people because i know uh one of the the guys i know who works in games who was down south in london he's just started working for respawn in la um working on uh the new star wars title they're doing so he's working remote from England and, and you know they're obviously in Los Angeles in the Bay Area so yeah it's it's a good time I think for the industry and I think it's going to we're going to see more and more of that um as we go well, forward honestly, when, when you think about like remote working <clears throat> I mean I've worked at a number of studios now and uh, I always had like an hour commute it's right like, <laughs> you have to pay for the gas yeah, pay yeah. For parking yeah pay for the insurance for the car and all of <laughs> you know you're not very eco-friendly and yeah, yeah. a million different things that it's just like why why were we ever not as people who sit on a computer all day of course why were we not doing this before um yeah. so uh, and i think the other thing is you know you don't have to live in these very expensive places in the world to work as long as well, you've especially got LA. i mean LA's like a nightmare i mean it's just so yeah. much well, money we're, right? we're in vancouver but yeah, yeah it's 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 very expensive oh no i just meant in general just like you know most, oh, most yeah. vfx people well you know LA's kind of like ilm and stuff like that it's like the place to be to, to work in, in films and stuff like that and obviously canada has its own thing but yeah like people who want to like make it yeah they'll move to la but then that place is like it, it's crazy ridiculous. to me and, and just in my head i've had <laughs> 
some friends that have worked in the visual effects industry for a very long time that are yeah. moving, you know, five, six hours away from yeah. the main city and they're living for like one fifth of what it would cost <laughs> to live in this. Yeah. 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 They're yeah. still making the same money. So I'm like, yeah, of course. Oh, this, congrats. This is like yeah, awesome. Yeah, yeah. This is how exactly. it should be. Yeah. yeah. So, no, it, uh, it doesn't make any sense. So uh, one of the things I suppose I would want to prim to you guys because, you know, you're starting the studio are you you are you much of a gamer has it been something that has been a lifelong thing like you've played games and i mean because i've met so many people you wouldn't believe if people haven't interviewed in the vfx and game industry who have never played a game it is mm -hmm. shocking but like yeah is this yeah, something that is right. also yeah yeah. It, yeah i totally know what you mean actually it's funny you say that because i'll tell you a little story so when mm -hmm. i um first started on this endeavor of mm -hmm creating a game studio and, mm -hmm. and creating really an IP, yep. I was put into the, I had an agent who basically put me into all the right rooms with some of the mm -hmm. biggest publishers in the world, you know, the Microsofts, mm -hmm. the Tencents, the Amazons mm -hmm. of the world, right? Mm -hmm. And I, uh, uh, not all of them, a mm -hmm. lot of them had really passionate gamers, uh, right. but some of them, I was surprised they'd never played some of the games I was talking about. And in my <laughs> head, I'm like, these are the guys who are making decisions on the games that are being yeah. So yeah. that was very eye-opening to me. And, and a lot of them had this sort of um, comment that what I was presenting was so refreshing and, and it was a fresh breath of air for them. And I just realized, like, hey, in any industry, it mm. really becomes so commercialized to the point that we forget why we're building this thing to begin with. Of course, yeah. And what I was presenting was so much from the gamer's perspective. So to mm. answer, answer your question, yes, I'm, I'm a hardcore gamer. I mean... I, I don't get to play as much games anymore because I'm starting my own thing and it's been exactly. very busy. Yeah, yeah. Um, but actually, Blink Moon, the reason I kind of thought about the name was, A, because the domain name was available, uh, <laughs> but also uh, because I kind of really thought about the fact that, you know, as a hardcore gamer, you mm. get up in the morning, you know, mm. in your teens, early teens, especially for me, yeah, yeah. and you are jumping onto the computer, you're mm. playing your favorite games with your buddies online, you've got yeah, your communities, yeah. and, you know, you blink your eye and it's already evening, right? Oh, okay. The moon's out already. So <laughs> kind of like blink moon in, in that sort of realm of things. And yeah, I just yeah. thought if I, if I want to have some subliminal messaging, that's sort of what I would choose. But yeah. uh, I've played competitive games. I've played uh, story-based games. Mm. You know, my Steam library, I don't know, has hundreds of games <laughs> on it. So Same. it's, yeah, I'm, I'm a big gamer <laughs> for sure. Yeah, yeah, cool. No, it's, uh, yeah, it was one of these things. I think I've, I, the reason I wanted to get into games, it was, it was always a passion of mine. And I always watched the, the my story goes way back. And me, you know, collecting art of books back in 2010, 2009, and saying to myself, watching the documentaries, like, oh, I could do that. I could go make games. And then never realizing how hard it was, like how difficult it was to break in and, and work. And, and, uh, but then you get a couple of surprises now and again, like even the other day when they announced, uh, that Ron Gilbert was coming back to do Monkey Island again, like I was, I was blown away because point and click adventures were like a thing for me back in the day. And, yeah, even when you talked about uh, story-driven stealth uh, games, you know, like uh, I'm a huge Dishonor fan, like Arcane, like one of my, my favorite studios. So like, yeah, that was a whole thing for me, like that game as well. So but yeah, I've, I've played games all my, my life as well. And um, it's good to see people who start these studios with intent that they are also, you know, aware of the lore, they know what the, the, the history is. And and because uh, I think you've got to have some remnants of that in, in your proposal when you go to pitch stuff like this, because people can kind of sense when you're a bit false or fake or you haven't got that thing behind you that maybe not believing you. And especially when you try to sell it to gamers, to public, when you come at the point, you're trying to pitch or show trailers, like you want people to really believe in what you're doing. So yeah, we, we have two mantras at Blink Moon that we're mm -hmm. trying to instill, even though we're, you know, quite fresh, we're right. trying to kind of instill this across the board, which is mm -hmm. 
One is, you know, building games on the bleeding uh, edge of technology. And right. what that means is not just the bleeding edge of technology today, but staying on that, you know, and, and staying on that. Yeah. There's a lot of big studios that become Goliaths and they become clunky and they can't move and make decisions fast enough to stay on the latest and greatest. Yep. And I've been at studios where they grow at, you know, 200 to 2000 people. Right. And the technologies stay the same because hmm. you, you've kind of created that level for scaling purposes. And it's they don't want to make, you know, they don't want to change anything that's going to potentially cause problems. But right. it ends up causing problems because you're not changing. Yeah. Um, so that that's one of our first mantras is hmm. always staying on the latest and greatest as, as yep. much as we can. And then the next one is gamers uh, uh, building games. Right? It's, right. it's really like everybody who's working uh, mm -hmm. in-house has has played some games in their lifetime right. they're either you know uh, the, e almost everybody has discord so that's kind of a good sign um yeah. and you know kind of <laughs> things like that right is we have that yeah. energy and vibe and spirit within the studio and, and we don't want it to just be the, the highest level of executives coming in and, and and doing that which we had a chance to do and we just decided not to go that route yeah, yeah. no it makes sense and, and one of these things as well is you don't want to lose your identity as well you don't want the, the whole thing to kind of just fall in the wayside of money and profit and because then it's i mean the whole controversy years back now with ea and electronic arts and that whole thing you know with microtransactions and the way they treat gamers and yeah because it, it tends to be those things like once you kind of you tarnish that reputation it can take you a lifetime to get back to some kind of ground zero where people start to trust you again and want to buy your content so um yeah. Yeah, it's difficult definitely um and there's a right way by the way and, and wrong way to do any type of monetization i think yeah. a lot of studios just choose the the wrong way uh intentionally just knowing that it's going to make the most money but right you know, that's a whole combo on its own no I, I could totally agree yeah i think i've always found with a lot of these things the more honest and upfront i think you can be about why it's happening or you know why you put this certain measure in place i think it makes sense you know if the game's free to play you know but it's not pay to win then that's kind of like a good balance because then at least you can play the game without feeling that you're getting constantly slogged by people who are spending a fortune on the game um mm -hmm. like even i think recently when genshin impact came out recently and that's been a whole like, explosion and and not only Asia, but now, of course, in the West. And, um, you know, they have their whales. They have those people who spend, you know, thousands, hundreds of thousands on, on, on packs to get characters, but people can play it at their own leisure as well. So there's a striking balance there whenever you release yeah, those I games. mean, so many, so many people complain about the monetization of Genshin Impact, and there's mm -hmm. been a huge backlash in so many places there. But yeah. it's also the most successful monetized game of yeah, last yeah. year. So, yeah, yeah. you know, people complain about it, but they still want to play it. <laughs> of course, <laughs> no, no, exactly. Yeah. And to see how I think Asia in general has now shifted the way they're making video games, like even uh, Black Wukong, like the, the thing they're bringing out with the Unreal 5 technology, the, the Monkey King game. Um, yeah, like, Wukong, Black Man. Yeah, yeah, the tech behind that. I mean, I remember seeing the first kind of trailers of that, and I was like, Jesus, like, you know, like, it, it reeked to Megascan stuff. But at the same time, like, it just was so impressive what they had done with I think only something like 20 people on their team. I was like, that's mm -hmm. incredible. Um, yeah. you know, the character stuff, especially. But yeah, that actually, so that actually inspired me to, to start what I'm doing. It was one of the reasons that gave me that like final push of like, okay, it's time. I can see that, you know, these, yeah. these two worlds are <laughs> getting very close. <laughs> Colliding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, the demo was always, uh, you know, one of my buddies, Raf Gazetti, who's one of the, the biggest character artists in the industry. And then, you know, he was sending me images at the time and talking about like, we've seen this trailer. And I was like, no. And like, it was getting him excited and he's working on stuff like God of War, you know. So, like, I was like, if he's excited, you know, it must be something incredible. And then watching the trailer, I was just like, you know, blown away. Um, Amazing, and then, yeah. yeah. and stuff like The Matrix, obviously, and other things that they're coming out with, um, you know, tech. So the, the ancient was... demo uh, from oh, Unreal, yeah. I don't know if you've seen that, but we, we yeah, actually yeah. have just brought in, we haven't announced this officially, but mm. 
we have brought in one of the um, like main artists that worked on that. Oh, wow, uh, cool. With with Aaron Sims, yeah, yeah. And uh, I mean, we we've got some amazing people that we have worked on some of the things that you're talking about, and I, yeah. I'm really excited to come out in, in five or six months from now and say, hey, look, look what we're working on. We've got on. these people, yeah, working this. Yeah, they, I, I think, I mean, you've probably got the idea that you're trying to um, throw in as many super talented people at the high level you can right now to kind of kickstart all of this stuff. But um, the, the company I'm working for is kind of the the opposite end where because it's a lot of their own money they're putting into the project, um, a lot of the guys that are hiring like me are, are junior level or, or, you know, entry level or, or mid, you know, because uh, a lot of the senior guys, you know, the wages are obviously exponential, you know, for the, the, the yeah. projects I've worked on, the expectation about how much they want to get paid. So, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely kind of like uh, chalk and cheese when it, it comes to comparisons, but um, I'm excited about what we're making as well. Like, we'll definitely talk after about what we're doing. We'll yeah, we can always team. do a follow-up and I'll, I'll run through something that we've made in a few months yeah. from now course definitely um so the projects that you're now making which you've said there's two of right so is there a timeline for these games like is there an idea about when you want to have these out by or at least announced yeah one of them uh which is the tactical stealth type game Mm. we talked about is is more of a eight to twelve month period i would say if i was to give you a range okay uh, right before that hits the market yeah. Um, I mean, you know how it is with games. You kind of get to that point and you're like, you know what? We want to work a little bit more. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> and yeah. Kind of get that additional polish because now there's all these extra people that have followed it or whatever. So of course. Um, there is always that. But there, the other larger game, um, mm-hmm. it's, I mean, we're looking at a two, three, potentially even four year development time. Right. right so okay. these are these are much longer development times. And as, again, the problem is as you get more traction, <laughs> for these games, yeah. um, which you start out thinking, oh, you know what, we'll be done in a year or two. Yeah. You realize there's a much bigger demand, potentially. And if that yep. happens, then you don't want to release something that's premature. Um, yeah. So it's it's the age-old uh, developers not delivering with the timelines that they've promised. That's why yep. I don't ever try to promise any timelines. I, I never give like, hey, this is the exact timeline. Yeah. Um, until you are like, you know, a few weeks from actually knowing that, yeah. um, because the, the problem is you just disappoint and, and we don't want to do that. So no, no, it's, uh, it's funny you say that I've, I'm about to speak to one of my friends again for the first time in a couple of years, who was one of the lead singer artists on, uh, cyberpunk, uh, CD Projekt okay. Red. And, uh, the last time I spoke to him was when he just finished the Witcher and, uh, now he's come back in the podcast five years later to talk about cyberpunk and, obviously they've just announced the new witcher title that's going to be on Unreal five mm-hmm. uh, the confidence and i kind of had that moment of like oh, like, <laughs> like i don't know how they're going to bounce back after cyberpunk because there was the whole thing with that and you know and it's it, which is a shame because you know speaking to maddock off air like i've always said to him it's a shame that because when i first started the podcast in 2016 and started going to events the first group of people i met who were doing talks were all the guys from cd project red who'd worked on the witcher so um you know who character modelers concept artists and uh the art was incredible obviously for the witcher but then sir cyberpunk you know art book behind me but I've, I've met these guys and i know what they can produce and the artwork was so incredible it was a shame to see that whole controversy mar and really overshadow the, the incredible world that they had built really i mean as glitchy as it was it still was really well put together and the artistic thought behind it was still good so i mean it's definitely going to be something i think you guys are going to have um a heady as, as trying to balance the sense that you want to make something huge and scale it but you know to make it an incredible experience but at the same time not overshoot right and mm-hmm. make it too much for your team to take on because you guys will still be relatively small compared to you know triple yeah, i mean we, we we were like i don't know three four people 
about a month ago, we're almost at 17 or 20 now and we're right. hiring one or two people a day um, right. right now. So we're probably going to get to, I would say, 50 people um, this time next year, most mm-hmm. likely. It's a fair size for a studio, um, even a small one. Yeah, I mean, we the thing is, we don't want to be the 800-man studio. And no, of course, yeah. we have no interest in that. I, I know a lot of game studios have that sort of work for hire mentality. Um, right. We have some co-production mentality, mm-hmm. but not necessarily work for hire. Yeah. Um, so in, in that sense, yeah, we, we're not really interested in getting that big. We, there, yeah. Honestly, there is so much resources and outsourcing to other studios these days that yeah. it would be silly to try to do that yourself unless you have a very good reason to. Yeah. yeah. Um, more and more I'm seeing every day, more, more studios are going to outsource and, and external contractors because it just doesn't make sense to have that many internal people unless for some yeah. reason you want that culture. I mean, I know some studios are, are like that. And I mean, we're in Scotland. So down the road in Edinburgh, there's Rockstar North who famous to make grand theft also i mean there are i think even their studios two three hundred people in, in scotland um globally thousands obviously with the rockstar studios but yeah it's it's taken him probably a good part of 20 years to get to that state where they can manage that many people but um yeah i think it's a bigger undertaking for anybody to get to that size even when i left access in uh in 2017 they were scaling hugely and i think they had went from something like 50 60 people to 200 in the space of like yeah. a year because um, they were taking on bigger and bigger projects and more and more stuff, so they just had more and more teams. Um, yeah. And it's yeah. funny because, me- meanwhile, at you know companies like you know, at the Marvel Studios, they have mm. five people managing like thirty different projects, and they're just <laughs> doing the IP level. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I mean, there's two pools of thought there, but I, mm-hmm. actually, that brings me to something that's kind of interesting. I, a lot of the visual effects studios that I've worked for, mm-hmm. um, they never really had this you know, they hire these amazing artists, right? And a lot right. of visual effects artists have either a, a very heavy technical background and some mm-hmm. of them have a very creative background. Right. For me, it was always from creative background. I've studied mm-hmm. art history, I've, mm-hmm. you know, kind of um, uh, had script writing and all this mm-hmm. kind of stuff in, in, in my portfolio. And I, mm-hmm. it was never utilized and there was no avenue. There was no platform for me to say, hey, we have this amazing studio with, tons of talent if you put in like fifty thousand dollars into uh, uh starting up a project right mm-hmm. and having an ownership of ip and then pitching mm-hmm. that to netflix or whatever that is there's never been a platform in the visual flex studios that i've worked at and it, that's always been a big question in my mind because i'm like you're hiring these amazingly talented people mm-hmm. and you're getting them to do just this right yeah, because yeah, it yeah. works for the business and i get that mm-hmm. but I just believe like, I mean, there, there has been one studio I know of that's an animation studio here in Vancouver that mm-hmm. does like a, um, uh, two times a year, they'll have like a pitch day, which, hey, it, you create your presentation material, create your IPs, whatever, we'll look at it and we'll actually consider making it as a studio oh, if it's cool. really good. So yeah. things like that. And I'm like, man, you, this is, it doesn't exist in the visual effects industry as we know it today um, yeah, yeah. as much as it should, which on the game side, it does. I think yes. that's one thing that they do very well. Yes, uh, is really hearing out and and switching the roles of people and leadership and yeah. always kind of being flexible enough to help the help the company really be creative as as yeah. a whole. Yeah, one of the biggest examples of that I always talk about in the podcast is Tim Schafer Studio Double Fine, and they have a, an event every year called Amnesia Fortnite, where they basically take what they're working on and put it to the side, and then they have a two week game jam where they assign. Uh, people can pitch ideas in games and they come straight up to the front and people vote on it and then the, the guys who win the ideas they then get to pick their team and then within the two weeks they make the game and nine times out of ten i think every game they've made within the game jam has then been a game they've released to the public for mm-hmm. profit or whatever 
um, like Headlander, Caution Quest, a lot of those games came from the Game Jam ideas. Um, So it's a great culture to to really refresh people and obviously then see if people can then step into leadership roles themselves and lead teams, which then means you've got more people to then put into those roles in the studios and it gives that opportunity to test them um, within their, their, their culture. So very clever idea i think yeah it would be probably something that i think more game studios probably should adapt but um i think they get away with it because they're still relatively small compared to some of the bigger places but um yeah, but yeah. i mean i i think with visual effects we were talking about sort of the merger and and mm-hmm. of visual effects and games coming together i mm-hmm. think well, this is one one thing i said in another podcast um mm-hmm. that it was on recently it, it, it the two worlds have come together so closely at this point mm-hmm. that i think you're going to start to see that becomes one industry Right. And what I mean by that is it just becomes creative houses where you have some of the best people in the industry and Mm. you've got a workforce behind them Mm. and they're leading that workforce in in producing whatever content that you need in in 3D. Right. We're really focusing on CG, Mm -hmm. whether that's a game or whether Mm -hmm. that's an animated TV series or Mm -hmm. it's a shot in visual effects. Right. Right. You can take on a little bit of uh, have different departments that kind of specialize in those but have have a a crossover there right now there is very little crossover because we're just going from you know render time to to real time essentially right and now that everything's starting to be real time and slowly Mm -hmm. and it'll get better and better and better right it's just going to be one one big house that can manage hey what output do you want you know is it in this format or is it an interactive format or is it whatever so i i think that's sort of the direction places are going yep in the next five, 10 years. And mm. that, in a sense, that should be the alarm that should be ringing in a lot of visual effects, traditional visual effects artists' minds today, which is right. if I'm not learning the new tools, if I'm not learning the, the new pipelines uh, yeah. and, and working with real time, that's what's gonna kind of not really help you in the long run if you're not doing that, right? So if you're picking those up, you're gonna kind of stay on top of the trends for sure. Yeah, I think that's it's one of the scariest things I think within my experience of visual effects and, and obviously within games as well as staying current, learning the latest tools. I mean, you feel like you get a grip on one set of tools and then it shifts slightly and then you're like, oh shit, now you learn this. But <clears throat> I think the things I've always told students is that the foundation of modeling, drawing, VFX, whatever your kind of your poison is, even animation, when the program shifts or the new technology moves along, as long as you have those foundational skills, you can then just transfer them across to, you know, another set of buttons or commands or, or hotkeys or yeah. Another so always where's the button, right? Yeah. Well, Blender's the big thing that's blowing up right now. Like everybody wants to learn Blender, and I think I'm I'm getting to that point when I'm I'm catching myself because I'm like, oh, like you know, I'm I'm so efficient in Maya, like. I need to move to Blender, but then like, well, there's a good, there's a lot of reasons I probably should move to Blender, you know, apart from the fact that it's free, but like also because there is more and more every day new tools and plugins that come into the system that make it even more efficient for hard surface modeling or animation. Um, so I think, yeah, it, it's, it's difficult because you want to stay relevant, but at the same time, you try to keep your sanity as a person where you <laughs> want to have a life, you want to have a social life, you want to have, you know, time for your partner, for your home, um, pets, whatever, you know, you don't want to consume, because I know so many people on the opposite end of the scale who have like like you talked about the appendix and and you going to hospital i've yeah i've had people faint in the middle of like uh industry events because you know they just came off a bender like 20 hours finishing a concept for a client and they walked straight to the event because they didn't want to miss it and then they just passed out and i'm like you need to rest at one point man like you can't it doesn't make any sense and nah. i think we forget why we work so hard that we forget why we do it is to live. <laughs> That's yes. The thing. Um, oh, and, you know, for us as a studio, like, because I've dealt with that. Yeah. 
it's again, it really is something we don't we we don't do overtime right now, yeah. especially. We, we have Thank no God. Reason, <laughs> yeah. we, we don't do overtime. In fact, mm. we have like a uh, program that we're introducing, which is unlimited vacation time. You can you know go oh, cool. as, as long as your work gets done, as long as you're meeting your milestones, you can take mm. off as much as you want. And paid vacation uh, time. That's correct. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, we are we're really working on on that program, and when it gets released, we'll have like an official uh, um, sort of message on our, yeah, yeah. our website for that. But interesting. Really, yeah. Yeah. And and I think a few studios are doing it, and some studios are doing like four day weeks or whatever, mm-hmm. and, and 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 other methods. But mm-hmm. it just needs to get better because mm-hmm. the work will always be there. The work will always be there. There will never be a moment where people will just stop watching uh, TV or people will just stop playing games. Oh, yeah. right? So yeah. in that sense, the work will always be there. It's just a matter of how do you manage that as a studio so that you can bring in and keep that mm. talent alive and yeah. well. Yeah. We had that whole conversation with our CEO. So the guy we worked for, Matt Gazer, Matt was actually, uh, he's a you know 20-year veteran and working in the, the film and game industry uh, for Warner Brothers, Paramount, DreamWorks, uh, Disney. One of his first uh, uh, jobs was working backgrounds for Rugrats, the TV show, and then went on to Skywalker Ranch and worked there for a couple of years on the Clone Wars series um, with Dave Filoni. So like, he's worked in that industry for long enough. So when we came to start in his studio, you know, there was huge rules of like, you know, you didn't want us to work the weekends after five o'clock, like we shut our computers off after eight hour days and we go just, you know, go away from the computer, do something else. Because mm-hmm. um, he had suffered for many years doing that kind of stuff with Crunch and many hours working on films and, and getting Viscomp done for stuff. And even before he started the studio, he was, he was finishing off two or three films. Um, you know, I think he worked on that DC Super Pets film that just came out recently. Like he done a lot of visual development on that. Um, and, uh, Famously worked on like Cloudy by Chance Meatball, Angry Birds, like loads of those kind of animated animated films. Um, but also worked with Riot Games, Blizzard, loads of other people. But yeah, he was very conscious of making sure that we didn't um, overwork ourselves because um, he said there's something really interesting. I never really thought about this, like, but he was like, yeah, there's not a lot of people in the industry that are over 50 when you think about it, or over 45. You know, like it's it seems to be a very young man's game. Like you yeah. get to a point in your industry life and you're like, I'm done. You know what I mean? Yeah, when you see somebody who's over 15 and working in visual effects, you're like, oh my God, that. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Where did you come from? Yeah. How are you still here? <laughs> and I have worked with some people like that. And and I think mm. the, the thing I've always seen is that they've, they've paced themselves, actually, yeah, yeah, regardless yeah. of what the studio needs. They've just said, look, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to make my health suffer. I, I'd rather you guys have me long term and be yeah, here yeah. for you know, the next 10, 15 years or whatever than just me burning out in a year or something yeah yeah, yeah. um so yeah i and you know i I think culturally uh games has been way better with that too Mm -hmm. that's another thing like visual i mean not all game studios i've definitely seen some of of our stories uh, over time but about them yeah yeah it's it's that sort of long-term mentality of we got to get this done for the next three years right yeah yeah, yeah. it's not a show where you're like oh you got six to twelve months go and finish it yeah yeah. Uh, yeah, I think I think film in a sense has that worse mentality because of the turnaround times of, of films and you know like my, my friend Ian who we said in the podcast recently he's he's a map painter so he done I think at scaling he done a uh, stuff for uh, Justice League and he was doing you know he he was given you know say a hundred shots to do in like five weeks and 
you know, it was trying to get those all out as quick as it could. With also, we try to take time off, and then of course, inevitably, because the shots came back and something had to be changed, then he was working on that. So it ends up, you know, you're doing again 10, 12 hours at the studio. And he was just, you know, although he was getting to work on these massive big projects, he was getting to a point he was like, I'm, I'm so done. We're like, <laughs> you know, he, yeah. al- he almost was like walking back to advertisement with his arms open because he'd like, he's like, it was so much better run mm-hmm. and better paid, and like the, the, the shows were better to do. And the thing, you know, compared to the movie stuff when the turnarounds are, you know crazy because you know there's like hundreds and hundreds of shots get to done thousands at one point you know and, and you've only maybe got a team of 15 people and you're saying to yourself how you but you're giving this guy 500 shots to do in like three weeks like is he going to do it is he going to finish it like mind-boggling yeah, stuff crazy. yeah yeah visual effects is an amazing industry for that mm. i mean the output of people is great compared to other industries i'm like i don't know how you did that but yeah 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 Amazing. I don't know how you got that that film finished, but thank God, yeah. But yeah. like, yeah, but it's it's always at the detriment of other people, and and even recently, not even just the VFX guys, but there was a whole strike with the extras, uh, not extras, sorry, built, um the the runners and a lot of people within the film industry who were talking about how they were doing 13 14 hours on set and then they were having to drive home in LA traffic, and some of them were like, you know, nodding off and almost dying yeah. in their car, you know. So like, there's a whole, you know, I mean, you talked about it recently how you stayed you know you don't feel that vfx is maybe in the trouble a lot of people talk about but do you feel that there is a danger in the, sh- in the industry or, or an inherent culture that really needs to shift um you know towards like better work culture in, in general i think it will happen naturally because it, it, it's a matter of time right like depends hmm. how much what is the scale of time or scope of time that we're talking about if you're talking about the next couple of years probably hmm. not going to happen that fast right. but hmm. if you're talking about the next 10 to 20 years hmm you know, even five to 10 years, I right. think it'll happen. And and the yeah. reason for that is I was just at uh, GDC, uh, oh, yeah, for yeah. example, mm-hmm. and, you know, everything is, is starting to be automated. When I was looking at um, like voiceover, for example, right? right. Let's, let's look outside of our industry for a second. Yeah. Uh, voiceover is something that you, you, know, you go through this whole process. You, mm-hmm. you hire a casting director that mm-hmm. casting director that has to do auditions with voiceover talent has to go through this whole process many hours there just to get the right people right you get you know the, the person who can do the right expressions the right you know level of, of tone for that character mm-hmm. bring them in this recording artist there's a million different things that goes into actually recording it and right. during, putting it into the game or putting it into the anime series or whatever that is right yeah there was a i can't remember the company's name unfortunately but there was mm-hmm. a table there at gdc and mm-hmm. it was a brand new company mm-hmm. um if I remember the name, I'll try to let you know, and you can put mm-hmm. it in the description or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, but they had this AI that was basically doing voiceover for your characters in the game. And it, you just, all you had to do is put in the line and put in like moment, take a breath or whatever, right. you yeah. know, sigh, all mm-hmm. these different expressions that human beings have. Right. And it would take those pauses and it was so natural. And the crazy <laughs> thing is it wasn't just saying them because yeah. it was normal mode. Right. But then they had, okay, now make it angry. Okay, now yeah. make it sad, make it surprised, make it whatever. And it Jesus. was doing, and I was like, oh my God, this is wow. like, this is, and it was, it was brand new. So they, there's additional work for them to do and make it better. But of course, yeah. for me, it was just like, this yeah. is crazy. And, and if you think about it now, that happening in visual effects, well, it's already happening. What do you think about building yeah. being created procedurally in massive cities being created procedurally? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and the whole like, uh, uh, there was just recently received ca- capture reality in Unreal Engine. You just like you know, your phone. Oh, and... that was crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. even and, Houdini, and the way Houdini works now as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, like, I, the, yeah. What what I was gonna say is the, the point I was trying to make is um, as that starts to happen, it mm-hmm. becomes 
you know, uh, automized and it becomes less about doing those crazy hours and it becomes more about controlling the quality right. and controlling, you know, the, the, the artistic direction that you almost want to art, art directing the AI is really exactly try to say yeah. yeah like there was a guy in my Facebook who added me and he wanted to talk, come on the podcast and I totally forgot, I need to track him down but he basically invented a software where you would go into a search box and type in like 80s kids room or something like that and the the program would generate in 3D a set you know like the the kids room with the computer on it and the bed and, and everything like it was AI driven so you would just type in what you wanted and it would drop it in the scene um so yeah, there's that whole, even with the, the metahuman thing, right? People were saying like, oh, you know, like character artists are done, like they're not going to need to, but then there's still an extent of like, you're going to need to model an extent or sculpt something that you specifically need for that game. So it's, it's AI, like anything, will become another tool, but it won't replace the artistic intent of yeah. a person. Yeah. Which yeah, is something again, it'll be yeah. very, very hard for AI to ever be truly artistic. I think there are, there have been attempts at it already. Yeah. And it doesn't really match up, I think. That, that's going to take a long time. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I don't think in our lifetimes... we Another 50 years, maybe, to... yeah, it'll start coming yeah. close to it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> so, again, with Blank Mute Studios, you guys are, are just up and running and you're getting started and you're kind of making your first steps. Um, is there anything that you think you would want to let guys know about the studio that you haven't really got out there yet or something that would probably identify why people should maybe pay attention to what you're what you're doing at the moment? Yeah, I mean, I you know, for us, it's we're bringing again people who have worked on some of the most notable concept art uh, that you might have seen on games like League of Legends or mm -hmm. Overwatch or whatever, and mm -hmm. animation from trailers like Diablo, the latest Diablo coming out, and nice. uh, you know, amazing uh, Emmy award-winning visual effects supervisor. That's my co-founder, Melson Musabi. We're, we're trying to create that sort of prestige house that is still mm -hmm. humble at the same time right, right? Yeah. and and gets that sort of community aspect of hey let's play games together on a friday night and right like, just really jam out and, and see what we can we can come up with yeah. um so in, in that sense it's it's very um you know it, it's a home for artists that have worked for some time in this industry right. they have a, a caliber that um allows them to transfer their talents from one industry to another if they're on mm -hmm. the visual effects side yep. and for them to learn new tools and new ways of doing things if they're on the game side because we're right. really merging our visual effects ideologies and methods into mm -hmm. the games industry right and that's right. something that for example the guys who made kenna bridge of the spirits uh right. which was a game those guys are predominantly visual effects from what i understand oh, cool. uh, coming from a visual effects background yeah and they, they focus on what they were good at right they focus yeah. on the the visual effects that was a beautiful game um so in in that sense we are going to create a beautiful uh highly polished games mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. at a double what we like to say is double a games with a triple a visual polish right right and what it's really saying is these games don't have to be $250 million budgets to look right. like that. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, we were bringing that and, and unreal engine five allows us to bring that. Right. Yeah. And it just got released recently officially. Yeah. Um, so pick it up, go, go look at unreal engine five. If you yeah. want to get into the games industry, um, learn Houdini. If you don't already, I, I learned Houdini in my last visual effects company that I worked for. And, mm amazing tool crazy crazy right. and it you know what i can say if if anybody right now was to come to me and say hey i've got really good unreal engine uh, and houdini experience hire mm. me i'd be like absolutely please come on in yeah, yeah. Uh, you know and, and on a platter too whatever but it's <laughs> it, it, it's you just have to stay on top of 
um, the tech. And if you do, you become valuable. So the best value you can put into yourself is just keeping up. Um, and, And that's something I don't see a lot of visual effects artists do. And it's funny because we're in an industry where things are consistently changing. Um, yeah, I think it's the reality of, of burnout as well as that the fact that you, you'll work so many years in one set of programs and then the fact that you think you've got to learn something all over again, it maybe just like brings the dread into you. So, but yeah, but it was funny you were talking about bringing the VFX side in, in the games. Uh, just quickly to wrap up before we end here, but I, we just recently interviewed Lauren Lanning and Lauren um, obviously famously worked in VFX in the film industry long before he made Oddworld and Habits. He made the, the game show that made Od- uh, Abe's Odyssey. And uh, that was the same, the same career they basically went. They took a lot of their cutting edge technology and the standards they had within film and then moved it across the games because they knew they could make those visuals, those big experiences and then combine it into a, a system that was then pushing at the time CD quality, audio and visual. So... Yeah, it's probably going to actually be in your, your uh, advantage because I know some of the games guys who work within the flow that they have couldn't really push the VFX, you know, because there's that level of fidelity you have, I think, when you work within cinematics versus mm-hmm. games. So, yeah, I think you're probably in a good footing for where you are right now. So, yeah, so, yeah, interesting time. And, and, and of course, uh, this is like the beginning. So hopefully, you know, a couple of years down the line or even a year down the line when you guys have something to show, then you're going to come back on. Yeah, we'd love to come back um and and show you guys what we've been working on awesome great can't wait um well just again to say thanks to hugh um if any uh people who are listening who are want to get in the film or industry or you know want to get work with you guys and they have a kind of reel or demo or an art station um are you okay for me to leave details down below can you guys get in touch with with applications sure yeah we have hello at blinkman.com that they can kind of message if they're casually messaging us and then we have official job uh board on our website as well blinkman.com so you can check that out awesome okay that's great yeah uh, again uh, if you guys are listening i'll leave all the details down below Uh, you can get in touch with you and his team um if you have an interest in what they're doing or you want to even just reach out and talk to them about anything um and again yeah um for guys who have got to this point thanks for listening um i hope you enjoyed it um it was good to have you on and i'm sure we'll see a lot from his team um hopefully in the future we'll be really blown away with whatever they create i'm sure it'll be incredible and uh yeah thanks again for coming on here i hope you enjoyed it thanks so much man appreciate it yeah, yeah of course um yeah again guys uh you guys can check us out uh, on youtube for the visual uh, audio kind of version we have uh nice cameras with our pretty faces on them so if you guys want to go to youtube and see them uh you can see it there again we're on most podcast services so spotify itunes uh google podcasts um you know we're all across the board and uh if you want to leave us any kind of likes reviews or anything on youtube if you want to share uh, it always helps us out and yeah again uh whatever's going on in the world i hope you guys are staying safe and creative and we will see you guys in the next episode thanks guys bye